heard from Jeremy, uh, who we love very much. Uh, um, you know, we're, we're so happy to, to have them nearby now. Whitefish was a little farther away, but we get to come down and see Eva and Oliver and Charlie, and uh, one of the greatest joys of our life. My brother Fred lives in Belgrade as well. His wife Jan is up here uh, today, so we are very honored. Uh, we always enjoy our worship here with you, and we're honored to be here. Um, the title that Pastor Brian gave me in, in my turn at bat here is The Centrality of Jesus in the Church. But I want to shorten that to The Centrality of Jesus. The Centrality of Jesus. Everywhere. Forever. And always. But Jesus isn't just for little kids. Sometimes we hear that, you know. Uh, well, these were little kids and old ladies and Bible pumping noodles. You know. But Jesus, if it were not for him, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even have a life. We wouldn't even be here. He's not just part of our life. Jesus is our life. The truth is, Jesus is more than you or I can possibly imagine. He is the source. He is the hub of everything that exists. And until we figure that out and we begin to live by that truth with Jesus at the center, we'll just be killing time. Did you get that? Without Jesus at the center, we're just going to be killing time. And that's a testimony in my life. And I'll bet that many of you can bear witness to the same thing because you've discovered that as well. Without Jesus, our greatest achievements will end up empty and futile. Without Jesus, our greatest victories will be meaningless. Without Jesus, all the wealth and treasure that we accumulate in this world will not only fail to give us the pleasure we hoped it would, but it will simply end up with so much junk. Outside of Jesus, we'll never find the security and the significance that we need in order to survive and to thrive. Without Jesus, true love, joy, peace, and contentment, all the things that human beings strive for will evade us, and we won't be able to figure out why. Peter Sellers, at the end of his life, with all his wealth and fame, said, I'm so unhappy. And I don't know why. This is not opinion. This is truth. Don't underestimate Jesus. Never underestimate who he is. Never diminish him. Don't diminish him. Or set him aside. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. I have come to give you Life. Life in all its fullness. Life in all its abundance. Jesus was the most vivacious person the world has ever seen. And he still is. You know what that word vivacious means? It means full of life. Full of life. He told his disciples just before he was taken away to be crucified, I'm divine and you are the branches. The man remains in me, lives in me, abides in me, 
and I in him, he'll bear much fruit, a fruitful life. That's what we want. Fruit that will last. But apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. Nothing that will give any significance or any security. Well, last week, Nielsen did a wonderful job of getting us started on this letter to the Colossians. And Nielsen said, there's more to Jesus than we can possibly imagine. And he's right. He's right. When we finally get who Jesus is, the only response, the only true response, is to fall on our knees before him and worship him and serve him and obey him and make him king over our lives. Even in eternity, we will never fathom the infinite majesty of Jesus because of who he is. Nielsen also said that everything in this sinful world, including the world around us, the devil, and our own sinful flesh, is relentlessly, relentlessly trying to diminish Jesus and bring him down to a level we can comprehend. We don't want to be accountable to him or to anyone beyond ourselves. And that's a clue to why we need a Savior. Why we need a Savior. To save us from ourselves. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. You have it uh, on the back of your bulletin. Uh, We believe that this, this little piece of scripture may have been a hymn or a creed. Even a creed in the earliest church. We're going to use it as a creed right now. So if you'll get your bulletin out and turn to the back where it's got that listed, let's stand and confess our faith and what we believe about Jesus. Let's stand together. All right, the guy in front of you, let's do it together. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. 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 Would you pray with us? Jesus, how amazing. How utterly amazing that you would allow sinful lips like ours to even articulate, to speak your holy name. Jesus, your name is the name that is above everything. All the collected power in the universe cannot compare with the power that is in your name. You promised that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, your name, the name of Jesus, will be saved. You forgive our sins. 
You heal our diseases. You calm storms. You bring universes into being. All by the power of your name. Your word says that one day every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow at the name of Jesus and acknowledge that you alone are Lord. We don't want to wait till then. We want to do that now. All things were created through and for your name. All things hold together by the power of your name. Forgive us for the ways we have diminished or misused or neglected your name. And show us today a little more of who you really are. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As I said, these words that Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 15-20 are so tightly crafted that they may have been part of an early Christian hymn or creed. We don't know for sure, but they are certainly worth memorizing. Would you agree? I would encourage you to do that. And someone says, what do you think about Jesus? You can just dump it out. <laughs> so let's unpack them. Starts out, the sun is the image of the invisible God. What Paul means by image is much more than just reflection or a lookalike. Bobblehead of God. Idols are visible reproductions of invisible demons that are behind them. That's so often when we see idols and we see they all have fierce, angry, mean faces. Okay? The representations of demons. But Jesus isn't a facsimile of God. Jesus is God. God in all of God's fullness. In Jesus, God wrapped himself in human flesh so that we could see him, we could touch him, we could hear him, we could smell him. All of those things. Jesus didn't say, Jesus didn't say I am like God, or God is like me. He said, I am God. I am God. And when he told the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. He was claiming to be Yahweh. The God of the Old Testament. <laughs> the God who gave Moses his name. It's not surprising that the Pharisees went ballistic. They went crazy. It was impossible to, to mistake what Jesus meant when he said those words. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders felt they had no choice but to kill this man. C.S. Lewis and many other scholars have studied Jesus' words and, and they've all come to the same conclusion. Either Jesus was a liar, a deceiver, or else he was crazy, a madman, or he was exactly who he said he was. Now liars and deceivers get caught in their lie. Always they get caught. They get found out. And madmen are inconsistent and incoherent. And you couldn't figure out what in the world are they trying to say. Many times the writings of, of some of the other religions, they, you read it, you try to read it, you say, this, this is supposed to be God's word, but I try reading it, it doesn't make any sense. Jesus was neither. Jesus backed up everything that he said. He spoke with absolute authority 
unlike any of the other teachers of his day. He spoke with integrity, he spoke with power. It was impossible to refute, or to refute his claim. So, if we're going to deal with Jesus, if we're going to come face to face with Jesus, not run away from him, but come face to face and deal with him, either we're going to believe him or reject him, and if we reject him, we're choosing to live in our own self-created delusions. Paul continues. He writes that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, begotten of the Father from eternity. In other words, there never was a time when Jesus did not exist. He is co-eternal, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's not true of you or me. When I went to high school, we were taught that the, the universe was infinite. Anybody old enough to remember that? In fact, the opening scene of Star Trek told us that, right? Yeah. But then sometimes in the 70s, the astrophysicists figured out that wasn't true. The universe is finite, which means that time is finite. It has a beginning, and it will have an end, just like the Bible says. In recent years, some have tried to get around this indisputable evidence for a creator by arguing, well, since everybody knows there can't be a God, then the only possibility is the universe itself is God. Hmm. Oh, that's flaky. <laughs> In verse 16, Paul says, By him, Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, excuse me, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Listen up, this is very important. Are you listening? What I'm about to tell you is incredibly important for us to understand. What this means is there's no such division as sacred and secular. That's a false dichotomy. Amen. All creation is sacred because it all belongs to Jesus. It was all created by Him. He loves it all. He sustains it by His grace. It exists for His pleasure. There are those in his creation who are in rebellion against him and against the coming of his kingdom and against his sovereignty. But they have no autonomy apart from him. They are created by him. They are created for him. Just as you were. Their next breath, their next heartbeat, if they have a heart, is continually dependent on His grace. They exist because He allows them to exist. Jesus alone is created. Jesus alone is your creator. Are you with me here or my body? Yeah. Verse 17. 
Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. From that dance of the galaxies to the intricate folding of a DNA molecule, not only a DNA, a miracle because of its how, how it's sequenced, but DNA is folded up. That, that massive molecule is folded up in a particular complex kind of a way that enables it to work in the way that it should work. Jesus is in control. He's the creator of all of that. He sustains all of that. The deeper we look into space, the more vast it becomes, the more wonderful, intricate, beautiful, amazing it becomes. Yet Jesus holds it in the palm of his hand. Look the other direction. You know those little flagella that propel a paramecium around? It turns out that they are driven by little electric motors and gearboxes that run that little propeller and operate identically to the motors and gearboxes that we build to run our little robots around. We are created in the image of God. It all comes from Him. It's as if someone designed all of this stuff. <laughs> Scientists are beginning to ask that question. It's so incredible. You would think, if I didn't know better, that that somebody designed that. Is, is, is this possible? Who could have done such a thing? The Bible tells us his name is Jesus. How do protons hold together in the nucleus of an atom? I thought like charges repelling each other. Why doesn't our whole cosmos from top to bottom fly apart? What holds the tissues of our body together? Scientists have looked at those questions and they scratch their heads. Does it make sense? They don't have the answer. But God reveals the answer to us in the Bible. See, truth is revealed to us through what has been created and through His Word and ultimately through Jesus. Science can explain how things work, but science can't explain why? Why are they there in the first place? The Bible says these things exist because God wanted them to exist. They called them into being. That's why they exist. He created them for himself and he created them, the Bible says, for his pleasure. He gets a bang out of it. <laughs> he loves what he's created. And he loves you. Amen. Paul writes, in him, who is the him? Nobody help me out here? Who is the him? Jesus. It's Jesus. In Jesus, all things hold together. Say that name again. Jesus. Jesus. You shouldn't be afraid to say that name. 
Do you suppose what's true in the material world might also be true in the realm of relationships when it comes to holding things together? In a few weeks, we're going to examine more closely how God holds relationships together. But let me say this today. God is big time into relationships. He has revealed himself to us as Trinity. One God, three persons, in this holy relationship, existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity, in perfect unity, perfect relationship. Each person distinct, always supporting, glorifying, and serving one another. I like to think of the Trinity as a dance. It's a three-way dance, three-person dance. Dynamic. Beautiful. Don't you wish our relationships were like that? Well, that's what we were created for. And we're going to read more about that first Sunday of October. But let's jump down to verse 18. For Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, he might have supremacy. See that little phrase, firstborn from the dead? That's really crucial. Well, where did death come from in this beautiful world that God created? Well, death is the fruit of sin. Human sin. And sin disconnects us from God, who is the source of life. Without Jesus, we are like a branch that's cut off from the vine. We are dead. We just don't know it yet. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is our desire to diminish God and to exalt ourselves. We want to believe that we don't need God. That's what the lie was in the garden. We want to leave this Jesus stuff behind. Oh yeah, I had all that stuff in Sunday school and all that, but God kind of matured the out of that now. You know, I'm kind of beyond that. We want to live life, life by our own rules. We we pretend we're doing just fine. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Just how fine are you? No matter how hard we try, it doesn't work, if we're honest. We can blame others for our problem. Well, them, the blank is blank, the public you know. Those Democrats, you know, those politicians, it's those rednecks, it's those tourists. Etc. <laughs> Etc. Et but the real root of the problem is right here. Yeah. Right here. It's in our own hearts. Jesus came in the flesh to live among us, to tent among us. That's what it says. Tabernacle among us. And though he was tempted in every way like us, he didn't sin. He didn't. His sinlessness didn't make him weird. His sinlessness was the most authentic human being who had ever lived. And we responded to his sinless righteousness by despising him and crucifying him. There's something desperately wrong in the human heart. Amen. Jesus died with the sin of the world, our sin heaped on his back. Satan did everything he could to torture Jesus into quitting, pulling out, but Jesus refused. And he looked down on those who were cursing him and killing him and diminishing him. He said, 
You say it with me. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. We, we didn't know what we were doing. We still don't know what we're doing. When we attempt to diminish Jesus, we have no clue what we're doing. But that didn't stop Jesus from trading places with us and he cried out from that cross as he looked out at us. Father, forgive them. And then he turned his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, the Trinity, imagine this now, that perfect Trinity, that perfect relationship, was torn apart. Torn open, ripped open to make a way for sinners like us to return. Into the fellowship we lost when we were expelled from the Garden of Eden. And when that was finished, Jesus cried out, to tell us God, one word, paid in full, it is finished. Our death has been removed. Our shame, our guilt has been removed. How is it possible? It's Jesus. Will you say the name of me again? Jesus. He's the source of everything we need. Everything we long for. We'll never be content until He takes up residence in our hearts. And the joy, the meeting, the forgiveness, the peace that we long for flows like a river from Him. Don't underestimate Jesus. Don't dismiss him. On the evening before he was crucified, Jesus gathered his disciples together. He shared a meal with them. We know what today is communion, the Lord's Supper. He took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Jesus is the only bread that can satisfy our deepest hunger. But we, we need to consume Him. Depend upon Him to nourish our lives. And then Jesus took the cup and He again gave thanks. And then He gave it to each of them. He said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this for the remembrance of me. Jesus is the assurance that our sins have been forgiven forever. How do we know we're worthy to receive a gift like this? As a pastor, I've often had people tell me, John, I didn't come to communion today because I messed up so bad last week. You don't come to this meal because you deserve it. Because you're worthy of it. You come to this meal because you desperately need it. It's real food for a real journey. It's real assurance that our sins have been forgiven. How do we know we're ready? Martin Luther said you're ready when you know you need it. Do you need Jesus? 
It is strength for your journey. You need His forgiveness and assurance that your sins have been forgiven, your shame has been removed, your guilt has been washed away. This is His gift. His gift to you. Because you need it. 